accomplishing. The writer has been spending quite a bit of time encouraging the church because of the issues of life. We're increasing in a way that the members or many of the members of the church were failing in their faith, their run of faith, their race of faith, their walk, their race in life was experiencing a lot of obstacles and difficulties. And as a result of that, he has spent now 11 chapters dealing with the issue, reacquainting them with the all-sufficiency and superiority of the Lord Jesus, saying that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. And in chapter 11, let me give you 40 verses of men and women who have been through a whole lot more than you have, but who also persevered and continued to run the race of faith in life. So when we get to chapter 12, let's read it in your word. It says, therefore, because of all that I've said and all that you've seen in chapter 11 specifically, therefore. Being surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that entangles or trips us up so easily and let us as understood run the race that is set before us with endurance looking to Jesus the author the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross the greatest obstacle he endured it endurance he endured the cross despising the shame and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God this morning What I believe the Lord wants to do is just to encourage us to go and do likewise. I believe the Lord wants to accentuate the two words, weight and sin. You see where it says, lay aside every weight, encumbrance, burden, and sin that so easily entangles or hinders us in verse 1. I want to talk about that that entangling around the legs of our minds, our hearts, our souls, our feelings, so that we're not able to run effectively this race of faith. Father, minister to these, your children this morning, And Father, even as we ask you to minister by your word, we have your promise that you will minister. So we know that we come before a great God who is not reluctant, but anxiously desiring to minister. Doing all that is necessary to accomplish your great goal of glory 
in our hearts. Father, would you do this this morning? Because you said, ask, seek, and knock. And so, Father, this morning we cooperate with your will by asking, by seeking and knocking, by expecting and by anticipating your ministry. Father, we anticipate and we expect because of your faithfulness that today not a person will leave this auditorium having not been personally ministered to by your spirit in whatever area you deem necessary. Thank you for this, Father. Thank you, Father, that it is impossible for you not to be at work. So, Father, touch our faith this morning. Cause us to rise up in faith to say, this morning, I am going to receive what God says our need, I need. Whether I understand it or even be aware of it or not, I'm going to receive it because God has said so and because I'm asking for it and anticipating. Father, touch our faith this morning. Encourage us. Father, so that this church may be a church filled with believers who are running with endurance the race of grace that is set before us so that your name may be declared as great in our lives, great in this community, great throughout the world. Father, it's all about you. It's all for you, and it's all from you. For your glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to take a chance in doing this. I don't mind chances. I'm too old to worry about the ramifications personally. The younger guys may have to deal with issues, but I'm past that. And when I say that kind of thing, Colin sweats. Keith kind of sits up there trembling, but it's okay. This will be a good thing. I'm going to ask the most beautiful woman in this church to stand. She knows who she is. I'm waiting for her to stand. She knows who she is. I'm waiting for her to stand. The most beautiful woman. Now, we may take 20 minutes to do it, but I'm waiting. I'm a patient man. I've been married to this woman almost 43 years. It's about time she stands. <clears throat> now, now, I didn't ask you to sit yet. Don't, don't sit yet. She's tough. You see, here's the deal. Almost 43 years ago, Gene and I were married. And at that time, I did not know that Gene had a major problem. I know, she married me. <laughs> I'll get it before Nancy says it. Nancy thought it, I saw it in your eyes. When I married, what is this? You see, women don't need these machines. They have, ten, they have antenna, guys. They don't need these machines. They have looks and movements, and you, know, you get all that. This is a 
a lot of activity going on around here. But seriously, I, I really want to be serious about this. Jean and I, especially I, did not know that she has a major problem. I didn't know that when I married her. She really does. She has a significant problem, and it's still with her. She's never been able to get rid of this problem. And you say, well, why are you going to expose your wife's biggest problem? Because we all need to see what this problem is. And I genuinely am convinced that it is such a pervasive, undercurring, undercurrent problem that we're not even aware of it. But I think it works extremely hard against running the race of faith. You know what her problem is? She is a human being. Now, how many of the others of you have the same problem? There are a few hands that didn't go up. Are you all from Texas or something? Or? You from out of town, I know who you are, Carl. That guy's a southerner from some other place. He has a funny accent. You see, when I've been meeting with people in the office, and I've told several people this, some of you have met with me, know what I'm saying. And you come in and there's the difficulties and things are going on. Problems of relationship, finance, whatever it is. And really, at the heart of the issue is a fundamental misconception and even rejection of the problem. You see, the problem is we are human beings. You may say, okay, what's the deal? We don't like the idea that as human beings, we are filled with failure and weakness. How many of you like that? How many of you like it in the person with whom you're living? You see, we are human beings. And as such, we are permeated side to side, top to bottom, with weakness, 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 failure, failure, frailty. That's who we are. In fact, it's not only who we are, it's whom God has made us to be. And the difficulty here is this. It is a very, for the most part, perhaps, silent river moving through our lives that is undercutting very much the effectiveness of the Word of God, our ability to run the race with endurance for the glory of God. And I want you to write this word down. Dissatisfaction. Lack of 
of contentment. Dissatisfaction. Now the outward manifestation of dissatisfaction or lack of contentment is what? What word? Come on. What word displays most clearly the lack of contentment or the activity of dissatisfaction, the presence of dissatisfaction? What word is it? What? Complaining. You say, well, everybody's like that. Complaining, the Bible calls it grumbling. King James calls it murmuring. You see, this was Israel's sin. This was Israel's great sin. Three days, three days after having been delivered from Egypt, the Red Sea opens and God delivers these people on dry ground, swallowing up all the Egyptian army. Three days later, there ain't nothing to drink. They don't have the bottled water. It did not get delivered. And all of a sudden, people started to complain, to murmur. Remember that? Do you rem- did you see the movie? Did you read the book? Dissatisfaction is deeply ingrained in all of us. But let me at least read one of the many verses where the Lord says this is the problem with dissatisfaction. Here is the essence of the problem with dissatisfaction. I'll just give you one verse, although there are many. It comes from Numbers 11, verse 1. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned against him and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. And in verse 14 it says, because they were rejecting me. They were rejecting me. I want to give us a visual of what our disaffection does in our race of faith. I'm waiting for our tech team. That was quick. Did it get all done? Good. Did you notice? Everybody's ready for the race. They all dive in and go. What's wrong? They are being hampered by something. You see, dissatisfaction is like the caramel. And you may not even be aware of it because it's so subtle and it's so pervasive. And everybody has it. So it's so normal. Dissatisfaction. And this morning, I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to not just have a mental understanding, I think He wants us to have a feeling of what dissatisfaction is. Not only to Him, but to us. If only. 
if only. Now let's be honest. How many of us, maybe even today, have either said or thought, maybe not these exact words, but this thought, if only? Come on. There are only 10 people in this church have never said this only, if only. How many of you have ever said this? I wish that, maybe, maybe we can get some more. Now, is it wrong to want something or to wish for something? Not necessarily. You see, it just depends. Now, it's going to take some courage on your part. I'm not going to ask the men this because it's too blatantly obvious, the answer. So let's leave the men out of this because if they don't raise their hands, we know they're lying. How many of you ladies are completely and absolutely, absolutely satisfied with every aspect of your physical makeup, the way you look? Your size, your height, your nose, your ear, your hair. Absolutely satisfied. Not a hand. How many of any of us in here are completely, absolutely satisfied with our mental abilities? Come on, someone raise your hand on that one. Let's see what we can do with that one. How many of you are absolutely satisfied with every aspect of every relationship that you have? How many of us have a lot more dissatisfaction in our lives than we thought? A lot more. See, we're not aware of it. And because we are not aware of it, it's one of those schemes of Satan that can be so successfully waged against us. And we have to know something about this. I believe there's a very fundamental issue in our lives. How many of us would change something about our physical appearance? Come on, come on. I only raised my hand for the pr- I, I don't need to. When you look like me. <laughs> Okay, you can put your hand down. We know. I love that. You're going to make sure we know. How many of you would make any alteration in any kind of a relationship that you have? How many of you would want to change your past in some way? How many of you would want to change your work conditions or whatever? How many of you want new pastors? Wait, wait, wait. I saw those hands over there. Now, Farrell Green, you should never have raised your hand, brother. That was a mistake. That was a mistake. You want to repent today or do you want me to continue? You see, the brother doesn't know. I will go down there and hit him. His wife is saying, come on down. Now, I was going to let that go, that Farrell Green is here today, not at the men's retreat. But the man raised his hand. Lack of wit. You see, he does need something changed in his life. <laughs> I want you to take a moment 
and write on your piece of paper at least one thing, one thing, one issue that you're dissatisfied about. And we can take our time because the other brothers are not here today, so they don't know how long we're going to talk. What thing are you dissatisfied about in your life? <clears throat> now, it may be your big nose, I don't know. Maybe your ugly toes. Maybe the preachers. On that one, I couldn't debate. Now, on the other line, write the name of any person with whom you were dissatisfied in any way. You know, some level of dissatisfaction with someone. Come on, write it down. I'm not going to look at your papers. You're going to look at this. Write it down. Now, underneath that, write this down. Why? W-H-Y. Why? 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 You're dissatisfied with something. Okay, you wrote it down. You're dissatisfied with someone. You wrote that down. Jack, did you write things down? My brother, you wrote stuff? You have something down on there? The preacher's son, you need to be writing these down. Gina just changed and put Jack's name on. (laughs) You can't sit on the front row, brother, when I'm preaching and not do these things. I'm the old school teacher, remember? I notice things. Don't you love Jack Collins? Wonderful guy, really. Why? Think about it. Because I'm sure, how many of you could have listed more than one person? Really? How many of you could have listed more than one person? How many of you could have listed more than one thing? All of us. We could have pages and pages of people and stuff. Am I the only one like this? Or are you like I am? A human being. See, I want us to get the feeling of how absolutely pervasive and controlling our dissatisfaction is. This is not a small issue. This is a major issue. Why? Let's turn to Psalm 139. And King David is writing this, verses 13 and 14. And let's remember who the author is of Psalm 139. He's the king. He's the man who had a very sorted background before he became king. You need to read 1 Samuel and see what some of the things this man did. Having become king, you remember some of his escapades. You remember the Bathsheba thing, committing adultery. You remember the 
Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, being put in the front line because he wouldn't cooperate with David to make it look like that Uriah was the daddy. So David said to Joab, go put him on the front line because that's going to assure he dies. So he's a murderer. Then he, It's just so much. But listen to what this man says about himself and his creator in verse 11, 12, 13. He's speaking to God, for you formed my inward parts. How many of you know God has formed your inward parts? Are you with me on this? You knitted me. Do you know what knitting is? It's that needlework that takes very small needles and takes very small threads and puts them together in such a way you almost need a microscope to see what you're doing. It is a very fine and intricate putting together of a tapestry or a piece of cloth or something. It is not just, it is intricate, it is purposeful, it is thread upon thread, you know, exactly the way the knitter wanted it to be. You knitted me. Together in my mother's womb. So first of all, if we don't like something about our physical, mental, emotional structure, the way we are constituted about God, whom are we questioning? Whom are we questioning? God. You see, those funny feet or from God. That peculiar shape is from God. That personality is from God. Those weaknesses are from God. God didn't do it. Who did? See, everything about me Everything about me externally, internally, mentally, emotionally, everything about me as far as how I am constituted and how I have been built, it's God's fault. I can't blame my mama for my face. God gave me this face. So the next time you laugh, you're not laughing at me, you're laughing at the one who gave me the face. And David says... I'm a man with a terrible past. I'm a man with all these weaknesses. I'm a man who looks like this. I am, but even in the midst of this, and we're not approbating sin today. We're talking about constitution. We're talking about making people the way they are in physically and mentally and emotionally. We're not discussing at this moment the issues of sin in that. So separate the two. David says, the way I am God has made me this way. So what does verse 14 say? Man, I wish you'd have done it different. If I'd have had been there, I'd have changed this. I would have given me somebody else to marry. I would have had a different mama. I would have had a better background. I would have lived in a different neighborhood. I would have had a better job. What does he say? I praise God. Doesn't he say that? God, in his infinite wisdom 
his infinite care, and for his specific purpose. Remember that word. For God's specific purpose, he made each one of us the way we are. You wonder why the cosmetic industry is doing so well? Sinful dissatisfaction. You wonder why the the workout industry is doing so well? Sinful dissatisfaction. Am I saying we shouldn't exercise? No. Am I saying you shouldn't put some makeup on? No. I'm talking about all the extremes in this. You see, the way you are, the way you look, the way your voice sounds, your personality, your background, your present, your future. Everything is there because a master puzzle maker has designed you this way for a particular purpose and place and goal. His glory. Did you notice I used the word master puzzle maker? Now consider yourself as a puzzle piece. How many of you know what a puzzle is? Remember those things that have all those funny shapes? And, you know? Everyone in here is a puzzle piece. I know life's puzzling. I realize that. Everyone in here is a puzzle piece. Every one of us. And before the creation began, God had a puzzle in his heart, in his mind. And the puzzle in his heart was the picture of his son. You know how puzzles are made? You look at the box and you look at the picture on the box and then you get all these pieces and you start putting them together trying to look at the box and put the right piece in there because you're looking. Remember it says looking to Jesus in order to build the puzzle. So before the creation, there is, if you would, hanging in God's living room a picture of his son whom he loves. It's as if I had a picture of my grandson whom I love, which I have many pictures, by the way. His son. And he says, now I'm going to create and I'm going to distribute the picture of my son out into mankind. And they're going to be, let's say, just a thousand, but we know more for the sake of speaking. A thousand pieces of that puzzle I'm going to distribute throughout history. And the last one that is going to be collected and put in the puzzle, and it's all over. My son's picture has been completed and the end of time. Right? And each one of us are a part of the puzzle. Now, that sounds great, doesn't it? How many of you say this is great? Really? I'm a part of God's puzzle. I'm in the picture. Do you get the picture? I'm in the picture. Is there anything more marvelous and great 
greater than that. Is there anything more marvelous than that, than being in the picture? Or do you want to be in the other picture, which is a picture of condemnation? Which picture do we want to be in, Jesus or condemnation? How many of you want to be in Jesus' picture? Yes! But there's a problem. You see, the problem is this. When God stamped out, you know, they, they, they take a big stamping press, a die cutter, boom, and this thing is cut. You remember, and then you take it apart. You remember how to do that? The problem is this. God, on his own initiative and personally freely, Kalia, he didn't ask me what I'm supposed to look like and how many little shapes I'm supposed to have. <laughs> he didn't ask me what coloration I should have. <laughs> he didn't ask me where I was going to be placed in that puzzle. <laughs> and so when I become a part of the family of God, I all of a sudden look at myself and Man, I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad I'm, peace. I'm glad I'm in the puzzle. Glad I'm in the puzzle. But you know what? I, I just don't like the way this is happening or this particular aspect of my looks or my personality or my back. I, I want to change. Get that word. I want to change. Get that word. I want to change the shape of the puzzle piece. So I take out the scissors of sin. Y'all ought to be taking notes. The scissors of sin, and according to what I like, according to my appreciation and my desires and my goals, I begin to alter the shape of the puzzle. I just don't like that lump there. Like that style. Now, the difficulty is I'll never get it to the place I like, but at least I want to make it look a whole lot better. I want it to function a whole lot better than it did, correct? Are you with me on this? Is this only my thinking or is this where you are? It doesn't have to be drastic. All it has to be is a minor change. But what's the result? Once I put my hands on the puzzle and take my scissors of sin and begin to alter that piece of puzzle on my own initiative and according to my way, disdaining and being dissatisfied with the way God has made me and where he has placed me and my coloration and my function and all of that. Once I begin to do that, because you see, dissatisfaction is the activity of the scissors of sin. What's the danger? I will no longer fit in the puzzle that I was designed for. Are you with me? I mean, you give your child a puzzle and you find him cutting it one piece up. What would you do? Oh, don't do that. That will never work. It will. What is the worth of that puzzle piece? What is it? Nothing. But what is the worth of every puzzle piece that retains its design, is satisfied with God, gives praise to God for whatever shape, whatever area, whatever anything in my life 
It is a functioning, viable, strengthening part of the whole puzzle. You see, dissatisfaction begins to destroy the picture of Jesus. You say, well, wait a minute. I happen to know, not so much in my life, but in the life of that other person. You see, when I am dissatisfied with myself, usually the most obvious reaction to my self-satisfaction is being highly dissatisfied with someone or others or other things. You see, we're not only retarding ourselves in this, we are retarding one another. How many of us inflict our dissatisfaction on others? Does anybody do this in here? Am I the only one who's done that? Seriously, have you ever inflicted your dissatisfaction on another person? Have you? Have you? Look at my hands. And so it's not only damaging to me, but I'm not only trying to cut my piece of the puzzle up, I'm taking my dissatisfaction, scissors of sin, and trying to chop up other people. And what will the puzzle look like? It will look like Jesus was in a major automobile accident. His eyeball will be hanging out, his ear will be off here with big scars. I mean, that's what we're going to present. That's what we're presenting. This is pervasive. It's monstrous. Now you notice I made a distinction between the way we are constituted by God and the activity of sin. Because you may say, oh yeah, Peter Davidson, you have a very bold personality. They say that, it's not true, but that's what they say. You see, the difficulty is that the way I am constituted, the way you are constituted in all of the vicissitudes of our Constitution, it gives all kinds of opportunity for sin. Well, there you go. That's why I want him to change. <laughs> and that's why, uh, no. You see, the Holy Spirit does not give the scissors of sanctification to us. He takes the piece of the puzzle Having placed it in a fallen world, now it is a piece of puzzle shaped like it is with, with little burrs and little discolorations and all that on it. Weaknesses, failure, sin. I am not the one that's supposed to take the scissors of sin and try to clean this thing up. I'm going to ruin it. But I must submit to God saying, thank you, Father, for the way I am and who I am and what's going on and what you've given me and all about me. I thank you for that. Now, Father, sanctify this puzzle piece 
And the Holy Spirit takes the piece and begins to very carefully shade off the little burrs and clean up the little discolorations and washes it and cleans it. So on that great day, I may be able to be placed into God's puzzle with everyone else to show forth the magnificence of his son. You see, the change is not ours, it belongs to God, and it's called sanctification. We're not to be changing one another, friends in Christ. I am not even supposed to change myself. This is God's work. So can we disabuse ourselves of trying to be of being dissatisfied with ourselves or whatever it is and trying to change me, change my husband, change my wife, change my children, change whatever. Let's stop it because it is monstrous against God and let's start saying thank you, thank you, thank you for this because if I were not this way, I would not be in the puzzle. Now, the person in here with the big, ugly nose, you have that big, ugly nose because God, some kind of way, will use it for the glory of his name. I like that. <laughs> Is there anything about your physical, mental, emotional, relational, whatever makeup that God cannot and will not use for his glory? then why are we trying to change it? Who am I to change anything? What do I know, Linda? What do I know? I don't know anything about this. Craig, I'd be scared to death to put my hands on myself to do anything. No telling what I would do. It's a scary thing, and yet the reason we're motivated by it is because self reigns rather than we don't like what God did. You see, the Apostle Paul had the same problem, and let's turn to Philippians 4. Oh, you didn't think Apostle Paul had those problems? Certainly he does. He did. Philippians 4. <clears throat> Every human being has the same problem. Remember what I said in the beginning, what is our major problem? We're what? You see, can't we come to the place of beginning to accept our humanity without attacking ourselves and others? Can we come to that place? Not accepting the sin, but accepting who we are. Accepting one another in our weaknesses, in our failings, and in our frailties. Can't we come to the place of honoring God because he fully accepts us in the beloved, having washed us clean of our sin, and he knows more about us than any of us would know about ourselves, and yet we are more difficult and more judging of ourselves than God will ever be. And so what does the Apostle Paul say in verse 11 and verse 12? Now, not that I'm speaking from being in need. He's talking about receiving offerings and needs and, and whatever. 
For I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content, satisfied. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of face, facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. See, Paul has learned something. He has learned that in any and every, did you notice the word he used? He didn't say in every circumstance except when I go to that church, I'm going to have to face those people. He didn't say, I've learned to be content except on the road here to there is really difficult, you know, and I don't like. He didn't say, you know, I'm fully content, but my eyes, I mean, I can't see. I'm not as good looking. I'm not as tall. I'm not as strong. I'm not as pretty. I'm not as shaped. I don't have as much money. I don't have as many opportunities. Whatever. He says in any and every circumstance, he says, I have learned what? Therewith to be. Did you notice the word that he said, I have what? Learned. It's a past tense. This is something that the Paul, the Apostle Paul is no longer grappling with. Over the years, the Holy Spirit has shown him, I am your maker look at yourself in the mirror and give me thanks for the way you are think about your issues of mentality and emotions and abilities I have given you these and I have withheld others Thank me for these because I have made you to be a particular aspect of the gospel. I know what I'm doing and I want you to be used by me in this way that I have made you. I am not looking for you to be something or someone else. I will have somebody else to take that position. I want you to be you. Does God have the right? Yes. Does he have the wisdom? Yes. The only difference is God is not into earthly considerations of looks and propriety and issues of comfort. He's into the issue of reconstructing the puzzle, bringing it all back together in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I've learned something. When did he learn it? We don't know, but we know that he learned it probably before at least into the beginning of the first missionary journey, maybe before then. He says, I've learned something. I was saved on the road to Damascus. I fell to the ground when I saw the Lord Jesus. I learned then, oh my God, this man you saved, who am I to be discontent about anything forever? He learned something. Who am I whom you have saved, whose name is now written in the book of life? Who am I that I would be discontent and dissatisfied in anything or anyone under any circumstance? He says, I've learned that. So when Paul, Paul is writing this epistle, which is toward the end of his career as an apostle, about 62 AD, he's in prison. He's in prison. He's in jail. He says, I've learned it. 
What does verse 13 say? You see, 13 is a result of 11 and 12. Too many Christians want to say 13, 13, 13. But they cannot and they will not function that way until they got 11 and 12 down. Therefore, what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, Christians love that. Don't you love it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. Yes, amen. You deceived. Because the all things are based in all contentment. You wonder why we're racing like that caramel? Because we're tied down on the inside of our hearts and our minds and our attitudes and our wishes and our desires and our pictures of what life should be for us. We're not looking at the picture of Jesus. We're looking at the picture of Hollywood or the next door neighbor or the better looking person over there or whatever it is. That's not the right picture. The picture we're looking at is in the heavens, the risen, exalted Heavenly man, Jesus Christ. That's the picture that we're being made and fashioned into. I'm a puzzle piece in that picture, not this world's picture. This world's picture is going to go up in flames. I don't want it. And Paul says, I am content with a lot, with little. I'm satisfied with whatever. That means I'm going to be rejoicing and praising and trusting God and honoring him. And I refuse to complain and be satisfied. Why? Because I am in the house of God forever. What of this world will distract me and dishonor God so that I should call him into question concerning my life? The satisfaction. And as a result of that, what happened? The Holy Spirit used this man in incredible ways. He could do anything he wanted to. Why? Because his wants were God's wants. And God used him. Therefore, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because I am a man, I'm a woman in whom dissatisfaction and lack of contentment has been done away with in me because I've learned to be satisfied. You see, Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6, and he says, there is great gain in godliness, great gain, great blessings, when that godliness is accompanied with contentment, satisfaction, pleased with the way God has done the work in me. Pleased. Yes, I'm a puzzle piece, lumpy, bumpy, coloration, whatever. Yes. Thank God I'm a puzzle piece. Thank God I'm a puzzle piece. And as I thank God for that, notwithstanding anything about it, to the contrary. Now, Father, begin sanctifying it, smoothing it polishing it, cleaning it. So on that day when God takes this puzzle piece and inserts it in the right place 
and that puzzle piece and inserts it into the right place. Finally, the face of Jesus Christ is displayed to all creation. There's great gain in godliness when accompanied with contentment. What is the solution? What are we supposed to do? The Bible says, verse 1, chapter 12. Is it verse 1 of chapter 12 of Hebrews? Let us lay aside. Isn't that verse 1, chapter 12? Let us also what? Lay aside. Let us begin to see the splendor and the glory of the way we are constituted as human, as human beings and let us resist and stop being dissatisfied. And when we are dissatisfied, and I had to fight this battle regularly in my life, I'm dissatisfied with being dissatisfied. And let us, when we are experiencing feelings, thoughts, attitudes, words of dissatisfaction, no matter what the reason, Father, I'm wrong. Cleanse that by your grace. Sanctify that area. And whatever the issue is, it may be that God has to deal with that. But you see, I am not supposed to put my hands on that erring husband or that wife, the way she is, or my child, the way we have been doing. But only within the context of God's leadership and grace. You see, this sounds easy, but it isn't. How many of us want to be used more effectively and consistently by God in the lives of those whom you love? You're going to have to lay aside the satisfaction. You're going to have to stop it. When that person does something that you don't like, you're going to have to crucify that sin in you. Even though it could be sin in the other person, you are not the Holy Spirit, and neither am I. It's binding our ability to be as effective. There are relationships within this church in which many in this room, I'm sure in the other room in Alex, outside of Alexander, the same thing, but many in this room, that you are frustrated and impatient and angry because of the activity of that other person. Am I right about this? And you're going to let that person know what he or she should do and how you feel. And that activity of your dissatisfaction is binding that other person. You want to do all things through Christ who strengthens you to be more effective, of greater power and ability. Let's become God's satisfied, content people. Let's decide this morning, I'm not living under this burden anymore. I've been deceived. No longer am I going to pick up the scissors of sin and begin to 
change this or that. If there's a need for sanctification, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God what my part is in participating with the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah, he's going to give me a chance to do something that other person? No. I'm going to stop this malevolent activity. I'm not going to do it anymore. You see, we need to be looking to Jesus. Because we are his puzzle pieces. It is his face that we will be marring. And we need to remember as we pray for ourselves and for others, first for me, then for others. Romans 5.20 says, you know, where sin abounds, grace much more does abound. We don't believe it. Therefore, we think I got to put my hand on this thing because God will never get it done the way I can. Anybody amen that? The problem is God just can't get this thing done, but let me at him. I have to be careful of this. I'm a somewhat aggressive person. That's twice. Somebody laughed twice. It was twice. That's old lady wag. She's okay. You see, we must decide to not tolerate any way to sin that will interfere with our race. How can I do it? 1 John 4, 4 tells me. I can do it. Why? Because greater is he who lives in me than he who is in the world. I have the power of God. I can do this. The impediment is, will I do it? And I say, yes, I declare, I and hopefully you will enter the battle against my personal dissatisfaction and my dissatisfaction to others and of them. And when I am acting this way, you need to help me. My wife is very good about helping me in this, and I need your help, and you need our help. What's going to be the result? Put the result up there. This is going to be the result of satisfaction. Laura, hit it. That's right. That's what I want in my life. Do you? Is that the kind of life you want to live? Is that the kind of race you want to race? Is that the kind of effect you want in your life and in others? Every obstacle goes down. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's be a people satisfied in Christ alone. Amen. Thank you for coming. We're dismissed. You can leave. <laughs> <laughs>